The NBA season resumes tonight. As all we have to discuss on the hardwood is Russell Westbrook back in LA, Patrick Beverly trying to exact some revenge, and the Hawks are looking for another spark as erstwhile coach Nate McMillan has shown the door. Houston is back at number one for the third time this year in the nation. Can they stay there? The superstar that no one is talking about, except for yours truly, as Edmonton Oilers center Connor McDavid achieves another milestone. Aaron Judge is willing to move to left field. Is that a good thing for the Yankees? Inching closer to the end of the month as the sports world tries to stay afloat. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The final Thursday of February, with March and an anniversary on the horizon. But first things first, thanks for stopping by to get your Phil, Fix, and Jones on what it is that I have to say in regards to the sports scene as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And yes, March is right around the corner. An anniversary, like I mentioned, I'll get into that a little bit more on Monday's podcast. And obviously, as we get through another week, as we get into March, as spring gets that much closer. And one more time, if you've listened to me for whether it's a month, a week, a year, five years approaching next week, you know that I do not like to rush time as much as I want the warmer weather to arrive, as much as I'm looking forward to a baseball season where hope springs eternal. We could all just take a step back, be patient, stay present, as I like to say, because before you know it, spring will get here, then it'll be summer, then we'll be talking about NFL football. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's get to what we got currently And the sports scene is a little weak right now. Not much going on. As I'm going to hit on a few sports, a few different topics. So sit back, or if you're on a treadmill, or if you're in transit, or commuting, or maybe even just cooking, relaxing, let me entertain you over the course of the next 55 minutes or so as we go in a deep dive on what's happening in the sports universe. And the first thing that comes to mind is the NBA. It seems like it's been a month since... We've actually seen a game of note, a game that we could, I'm not going to say sink our teeth into, only because the NBA season is so long, it gets drawn out. We know that it is a marathon, certainly isn't a sprint. But now as we've gotten to at least exhale a little bit after the All-Star break and that game, which as I've talked about a million times, it's an abomination, even with my guy Jason Tatum winning an MVP but scoring 55 points. I get it, a lot of that is behind the arc, but I'm sure he's had a ton of layups and some dunks along the way, so when we look at that record, can we take it seriously? Of course not, but now that that's all in our rearview mirror, we can look ahead to the quote-unquote second half of the season. For a lot of teams, it's about 22, 23 games, and if you didn't listen to the podcast on Monday, I suggest you do, because I 
do a little bit of a preview on the second half as far as the East being very top-heavy and the West being wide open. So you definitely want to get your fix on that when it comes to at least getting an idea or a grasp of what to possibly expect here in the second half of the season. But over the last couple of days, the big news coming out of LA, no, not the Lakers, it's the Clippers and bringing back a one Russell Westbrook. We all know that he got traded to Utah and then was bought out. He had a couple of options. I believe Miami was one of them, but he felt that he wanted to come back home. He wanted to, I don't want to say seal the deal, not to say that this is going to be his last chance to win a title, but we all know he's in the final year of a big contract, $47 million, and who knows what the next chapter is going to be, whether he's going to have to come off the bench, whether he's going to be a guy that's going to play on a bad team that he's going to try to drag His team into the postseason winning, let's say, 43 or 45 games. But you're going to have to deal with his warts and all. And that's the one thing that we're going to look at here with him going back to L.A. and being a member of the Clippers because what Russell Westbrook are we going to see, especially from a coach in a one-tie Lou who has dealt with big stars, obviously LeBron James going back to the days of Cleveland, who's dealt with big personalities, and he's dealing with a couple right now with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And now that you bring Westbrook with about two dozen games left in the season, I'm sure Westbrook has been pretty much to hell and back from a basketball standpoint, knowing that being in L.A. last year, and we know how that unfolded, not making the postseason, trying to blend in with LeBron and Anthony Davis, and that going up in smoke to the point where this year, after whatever it was, 50-some-odd games, You knew that experiment was not going to work with him coming off the bench. And yes, has he shown flashes? Yes, has he put his fingerprints on some games? Absolutely. But when you're a guy that's a walking triple-double, when you're a guy that's a former MVP of the league, when you're a guy that's not even a good shooter, but is not a clutch player, especially in the fourth quarter, where we've seen time after time him missing jump shots or three-pointers or trying to do a little bit too much where he turns the ball over, So you wonder over the course of the past couple of weeks since the trade was made and Westbrook weighing out all of his options and on top of that, Tyron Lue having to see where Westbrook is going to fit because we know that the former MVP isn't anywhere near what he once was. Yes, he still has the determination. Yes, he still has the athletic ability. But we all know that he's had to rein in his game over the past few years because he is not that guy that is going to be a franchise leading player, a guy that's going to take you to the promised land. Yes, can he be a key cog or a key component to the team? 100%. But it's a combination of what Westbrook has learned over the last year and a half and how he's going to apply himself, not only just for the remainder of this year and see where the Clippers could go once they get into the postseason, But knowing that he's not going to get another max contract, knowing that he's not going to be a guy that's going to be counted on to lead a team or an organization, and knowing that the next chapter of his basketball life, where he's trying to get that final contract, albeit it's not going to be anywhere in the stratosphere of what he is in his current deal, but yes, how he adapts, how he's able to adjust, and not only that, what the Clippers are going to ask of him to do is going to be very telling For not only this Clipper team who has never made it to an NBA final that has had lofty expectations ever since Kawhi Leonard and Paul George walked in through that door, and now you bring in Westbrook, who has played with Paul George as we know, and George loves him and was a big contributor, I'm sure, as to the Clippers bringing Westbrook on board. Breaking out all the pom-poms, etc. So, if you ask me how this is going to play out, From the surface, I'd have to say that Westbrook, I'm sure he's going to have his moments and I'm sure he's going to have freedom to do certain things, but he's also going to have to defer and know that it's not all about him. It's not all about him trying to bury an 18-footer with two minutes to go or in the closing seconds of the game trying to get that penetration to break down the defense and knowing that he has to make a smart decision, not when he's in midair, whether or not I should lay this up to try to get it over the center or kick it back out where I have to contort myself. Again, this isn't the Westbrook of five, six years ago where he could possibly do that and not get himself in trouble, where at this stage of his career, thinking that he could do or make those plays that he once did, 
He probably can't do that anymore. And I'm sure there's going to be a bit of a learning curve knowing that George and Leonard, I'm sure they're already huddled in a room saying, this is what we want, this is what we expect of you, and let's see if we could all be on the same page because the goal is to get the brass ring. One that Westbrook does not have in his career and also I'm sure is looking forward to hopefully in his second stint in LA, but this time on the other side of the building. Can this be a big reward for the Clippers if Westbrook does what he's told and kind of stays within the parameters of that? I think it can work, but as I mentioned, has Westbrook looked inward to say to himself, I'm not this player anymore. Yes, I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I know what I'm able to do on a basketball floor. But now, knowing that I have a new lease in life, knowing that I have an opportunity here to get to a final with two big pieces and a short window to do so, who knows? Maybe we'll see that. But if you ask me right the second, I can't say I do. They're going to have to rely on him to a certain extent. But if they think they're going to push all their chips to the middle of the table as Westbrook being that final piece, I can't say that it is. Because this team's going to be carried by A, Kawhi Leonard, B, Paul George. And George, as we've seen in big spots, he's come up small. And then Westbrook is going to have to trail behind those two guys. He cannot be the 1A or even be a 1. As we know, he's been an alpha throughout his whole career. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to them winning a title based on everything that I just mentioned here over the last five minutes. Then you have Patrick Beverly, his former teammate. And how did that work out in L.A.? Everybody talked about how the Westbrook-Patrick Beverly marriage with this Laker team, with LeBron and Anthony Davis, etc. How that was going to figure to be a positive, knowing that Beverly is a straight shooter, no-nonsense guy, and Westbrook and Beverly have had their run-ins over the years. And not to say that between the two, it had foiled to the point where they had to blow the team up. No, the Lakers had to do what was right. They had to bring in a shooter, a guy that could at least lay a little bit of pressure off of LeBron and even Anthony Davis when he's out of the lineup and won D'Angelo Russell, which is a big question mark. But with him and bringing in a big like Mo Bamba, to alleviate a little bit of what Davis, when he's out of the lineup, to bring some size, to bring some rebounding, maybe a little bit of toughness and some defense. So they went in that direction where Beverly now is going to land in Chicago, where he's from, where he grew up. And one of the first things he said on his podcast was how he's going to do his best to knock the Lakers out of the playoffs. Because the Bulls still have two games against LA to think, We're approaching March, and the Bulls and Lakers have not played against one another. And in fact, they're going to actually play within a three-day span. March 26th in LA, and then March 29th in Chicago. And Beverly could do and say all he wants as far as, oh, I'm going to do what it takes to knock them out. We know Beverly is a role player. He's not a guy that's going to log 30 minutes a game, 35 minutes. He's not a guy that's going to have a tremendous impact on the game when it comes to his scoring. Yes, we know the type of DNA Beverly has. He's a guy that when he's on your team, you love him. But when he's on the other team, you hate him. He gets under the opposing team's skin. Yes, he does have a lot of intangibles. Plays defense. Plays hard. Does like to trash talk with the other players to get them off their game. Gets in people's heads. That's the biggest thing about Beverly. He's not a guy he could also defend to. He's not a guy that's going to light up the stat sheet as far as him scoring points, draining threes. He's going to get a lot of those 50-50 balls. He's that type of player. And I get it that Beverly does have that chip on his shoulder, being from Chicago, being a guy that was an underdog, similar to Draymond Green, as I've said in the past. People that have counted him out pretty much from the start. Upbringing, you're never going to make it into the league. You're not a big-time player. And Beverly, he's made a career. And give him credit and give him props, but... For him to come out and say that, that's all well and good. But we all know when they play against one another, he could try to get into LeBron's head. He could try to get into his former teammates' brain, under their skin, etc. But at the end of the day, Beverly's not out there 9 for 13 shooting, 26 points, and 10 rebounds, 8 assists to where he's really going to put his impact 
and fingerprints all over a game. That's not going to happen. But give it up. That's how he feels. We all know that he has bravado the size of this planet. And also with him saying that the East is weak, when he tried to differentiate with him from L.A. going to Chicago, playing in the East, how he feels that the Bulls may have a shot to get in. And if they do, that they could go up against the big boys of the East, that it's not as strong as it is out West. All right, there is some truth to that. As I mentioned on the podcast the other day, East being top-heavy with Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly. The West, a little bit more spread out, especially when you look at the top, Denver, Memphis, Sacramento. Those three teams have not done in the big spots, although Memphis may have a little bit more of a pedigree, not much, than Denver, although they have the two-time defending MVP and a one, Nikola Jokic. But it's not as if those teams are going to be ones where the bottom rung of the conference, whether you're Golden State, the Clippers, although they're in the middle, but you know what I'm saying, even if the Lakers make it to the postseason, Phoenix for that matter, they're not going to look at Denver and say, oh, wow, we're going to be shaking on our boots because this team, we have no shot against them. Not the case. So that's what you got with Beverly and his situation now in Chicago. As for the Hawks, they fired Nate McMillan. And think about this. Two years ago, when the Hawks were going through their malaise and they bring in Nate McMillan halfway through the season... And what he did to get the Hawks not only into the postseason, but they had a run where they were two games short of the NBA Finals. If you remember, they played against the Knicks in the first round, beat them in five games, beat the Sixers, the fame series where Ben Simmons passed up the dunk with, what, three minutes to go in the fourth quarter in a series where the Hawks won three games in Philadelphia. So give them credit, but then they fell short against the Bucks, where the Bucks obviously went on to win the championship. And here it is, not even two years later, McMillan has been shown the door, walked the plank, here's your pink slip as he's out, and they haven't even named the coach yet, I don't even know who the interim is, a lot of the buzz has Quinn Snyder, the former Utah Jazz coach, going to Milwaukee, which would be tremendous, let's call it as we see it, I understand it's halfway through the season, but we know Snyder, granted that the Jazz have not gone far or deep into the playoffs, but we all know he's a very good coach, And who knows, if he's a guy that could maybe rally the troops, give them the same boost that McMillan did a couple of years back, do they have a shot to maybe go up the charts, go up the standings, and maybe be a team that could win a round and be a threat in the second round? I'd say it's unlikely, but stranger things have happened. And as we saw a couple of years ago, the Hawks were one of the last four standing when we got to the final four teams in that 2021-22 season. So we'll see what comes out of that. And speaking of coaches, Jock Vaughn gets an extension with the Nets. And Vaughn, for everything that he's done this year and been the good soldier, we know about his track record as far as going back a few years ago in the bubble where he was the interim. And even though they brought in Steve Nash and was an assistant on that team, we know Nash got jettisoned there early on this year after, what was it, an 0-5 start. And even though they had a stretch to where they won 12 straight, that was with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, 18-2 and overall, and they put themselves in good stead in the Eastern Conference with a very good record. But now when you have the likes of Mikael Bridges, Spencer Dinwiddie, who knows what they're going to get out of Ben Simmons, the Nets have a solid team. And now they may go back to a team that can be resourceful, a little deep, Maybe surprise somebody in the playoffs, and Vaughn is that calming influence. But not only that, seems like he's a take-no-prisoner approach. He knows that not only being around the league, but being on these staffs and dealing with these star players, that now he could probably exhale a little bit and run this ship the way it should be, as opposed to having to cater to Kyrie or even Kevin Durant to that extent. And now he could have a little bit more freedom to deploy his team and maybe be a little bit of a surprise in the Eastern Conference. And then you also have to deal with some injuries here in the East. I know Giannis sprained his wrist on that play last week against Chicago where he fell behind the basket, has a ligament sprain. I know it's in the process of being treated, but once the pain subsides, we'll probably see him back in the lineup. What does that mean for the Bucks as they're only a half game behind the Celtics? Will they slip? To me, it doesn't really matter. The Bucs are going to be there at the end of the day. 
And obviously they're going to need Giannis for the stretch run and obviously into the postseason. So I'm sure they're going to take their time with their superstar there, Mr. Atentacampo. And then Lonzo Ball, I'm just throwing this in there for filler, but Lonzo Ball out with a knee injury. He had gotten arthroscopic surgery going back to January of last year and it has not healed. He still feels pain. And here's a guy, second pick overall back in 2017 between Markel Fultz and Jason Tatum. And Ball, a lot of people thought that he was going to be a point guard that was going to bring you defense. His shooting was suspect with his three-point shot, but that's improved. And he is a guy that when he's healthy, can contribute to a team. Young player, played on the Pelicans after that trade with the Lakers, but over the last three, four years have has not panned out for Ball, the number two pick. And you got to wonder whether or not come training camp next year, and we know that's a long ways from now, if he could be anything close to what, not only him coming out of UCLA, but anything close to him being a solid, not even rotation player, because we know with knees, they could be tricky, but we feel that he's young enough that he could maybe make an impact and be a guy that can be counted on, can be trusted to be a key figure on a bull team that has Zach Levine, that has DeMar DeRozan, but just a tough break for the young ball as he's going to be on the shelf for the rest of the year. That's what I have with the NBA. It resumes tonight. Let's see what happens over the weekend, and we'll reconvene on Monday as to what will transpire here over the weekend. As far as the college sport, the Houston Cougars, number one. We know Alabama has been falling by the wayside here. They actually had to squeak out a game last night, winning in overtime as they had to sweat one out. And the Crimson Tide, who have been at number one, as well as Purdue, and now Houston for the third time this year, which is crazy when you think about it. And just so you know, that was South Carolina that Alabama had to sweat out a victory there in Columbia. But for the Cougars, led by Coach Kelvin Sampson, with this being their third time, and they blasted Tulane last night, and their schedule upcoming, you would think they should still be number one going into their conference tournament. Not only beating Tulane, but they also have Memphis, which is their final game of the year, on the road, and then they go on the road to East Carolina, sandwiched in between Wichita State. So we would think that Houston, who right now is easily going to be a one seed when it's all said and done, and I'll talk about the one seeds in a second. But when we have Houston leading the pack, Alabama, Kansas has moved up. They beat Baylor last week, as we know. UCLA, Purdue, can they be a team that's going to be number one? I think when it's all said and done, what we're looking at here, even after the conference championships, the teams that have been near the top or even close to the top, I think what we see right now, it's going to be in your four regions, Houston, Alabama, Kansas, UCLA. Now, of course, that could change if one of these teams get knocked out early in a conference championship then chances are they still may have that number one perch, but let's say if Purdue goes on and wins the Big Ten, chances are they may be the team that could be a one seed out of a particular region. And as we try to expand from that, as I've said time after time, this is a crapshoot. This is going to be a toss-up as to who's going to be one of the final four when it's all said and done. We still have a few weeks to chew on that. In fact... What is it? Two weeks from today, if my math is correct. No, actually three weeks. From today, that's when the tournament will really begin in earnest. On the 16th of March, that's when we'll have the full slate Thursday and Friday. We know the tournament starts on the 14th with the two playing games Tuesday and Wednesday, which is now called the first four. That's pretty much what I got for college. Nothing much to really delve into or discuss even further, but I think Houston looks like they could be the one seed overall when the tournament begins, unless they have a hiccup or have an early exit in the conference championship tournaments. So let's see what happens as we inch closer, not only to the month of March, but to the madness overall. And let me throw in one other thing as I backtrack for a second. My over-unders for the NBA, I wanted to share those on Monday. I didn't And since there weren't any games, and now as we're getting ready to jumpstart the schedule again, we know the NHL, as I talked about 10 days ago, 
my over under point totals, I could be at best two and four, but chances are I'm going to be one and five. Where the NBA, that's been flipped upside down. The one bad pick, and I already have a loss, which is awful when you think about it, is the Utah Jazz. I thought with them trading Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert away, there was no way they were going to cover 24 and a half, and they got off to a great start. I believe they were 10 and four, and that one went by the wayside quickly. So chalk that one up for just terrible judgment on my part. But I had Cleveland 47 and a half as an over, Denver 49 and a half as an over, and Memphis 48 and a half as an over. Those three are going to be slam dunks. My unders are Phoenix 52 and a half, and I'm sure a lot of people probably looked at that and said, Jay Reels, what are you, nuts? Phoenix is going to have a good season. They were a one seed last year, and obviously this is before Kevin Durant, but there were a lot of people that I'm sure probably looked at that pick saying, Jay Reels, there's no way. Phoenix is going to probably at least get to 55 and cover 53 probably as we get toward the ending or the early part of April when the season concludes. Well, as it is right now, despite the fact that Durant has not played a second in a Sun uniform, but the Suns are 32-28, and 28, and I would think I'm going to be in the clear when it comes to me covering that number because obviously they'd have to run the table from here on out in order to cover that number. I mean, think about this. They would have to go 21-1 and one for them to cover that number. So I'm safe there. And then I have Portland where currently they're 28 and 30, and their number this year was 39 and a half. Other than their backcourt of Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons, I thought, where else are they going to get scoring? The West, not as stacked as I thought it was going to be from a standpoint of the Sacramentos of the world and even Denver being a top seed in the conference. So a very competitive conference and not enough balance on that team. How I looked at it was, it was going to be a slog for them to get to 40, and I think they're probably going to cover it, so at worst, I'll probably be 4-2, and two, but I could be 5-1 and one when it's all said and done, so we will certainly keep an eye on that. Now as I turn my attention to the ice as I lace up my skates, and this is one I'm calling out all my sports fans, because if I told you who Connor McDavid is, what sport he plays... What team is he on? Could you answer that? And when I say sports fans, that covers the whole gamut. The diehard, the casual, maybe the one that's a bit above casual, a little bit below diehard. I would think the diehard fan knows who Connor McDavid is, even if he fell on him. But for those who don't know, and I get it that he plays in a region of North America, not even in the United States, that a lot of people couldn't find even if you give them the GPS roadmap and the magnifying glass. Because if I told you Edmonton, Alberta, you would probably think that's somewhere overseas. And if I tell you that he plays on the Edmonton Oilers in the National Hockey League, you're going to say, oh, he's a hockey player? Of course I don't know who he is. Because I'm sure the casual hockey fan, they may tell you who Sidney Crosby is. They may be able to say Alexander Ovechkin. Maybe even Nathan McKinnon, although that could be a stretch. But Connor McDavid, because of the region that he plays in, on the team that he plays in, and in the sport, nobody knows who he is. With all that being said, a couple of nights ago, he had reached the 800-point plateau, fifth fastest in NHL history. Only Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Mike Bossy, and Peter Stasny. Stasny was the old Quebec Nordique. I believe later on he played for the Devils. But four guys in the sport reached that plateau faster than he did. And here's a guy that's already won an MVP, and he did last year, and I believe he won another one prior to. He is by far, at the top of his sport, probably bigger and better than anybody in anybody else's sport. Yes, you could argue that. When we look at baseball, I get it, Aaron Judge had the big year, and he was a former Rookie of the Year, but you could argue whether or not he's the best player in the sport. Is he up there? Absolutely. But there's going to be a faction in Anaheim's going to say, wait a minute, Mike Trout has the track record. In the NBA, everybody could say LeBron James and what he's done throughout the course of his career. And even though he may not win an MVP this year, or even Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, throwing Joel Embiid. Yes, you have those players that are the best in their sport. But you could argue whether or not that's the case. In... 
football, we know right now it's Patrick Mahomes. But there are players that are a close second. Whether your name is Josh Allen, you want to throw in Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts for this year, okay. Maybe you want to throw in a defensive player. Off the top of my head, you may not say Micah Parsons right now. T.J. Watt coming off of an injury this year, not having the MVP-like year that he had last year when he won Defensive Player of the Year. You want to throw in another quarterback in there, former MVP and a one Lamar Jackson, but we know that he's regressed because of injuries the last couple of years. All right, you could say maybe Mahomes, and there's somebody that could be maybe not a distant second, but a rather close second. All right, fine. And the individual sports, I won't even go there. I understand Novak Djokovic could be head and shoulders above a lot of players that are out there. Golf, you want to say John Rahm? Okay. And Nathan McKinnon, for as great as he's been, Kirill Kaprizov, the goal scorer there in Minnesota. And I could go down through another four or five players. Jack Hughes, who's going to be in the MVP running this year on the Devils. Fine. Right now, as I say this, Connor McDavid is by far the best player in his sport than any of the other players in theirs. And it's not as if I'm watching him night in, night out. All you got to do is just look at the highlight reel from this year. All you got to do is just look at what he's done in the sport as far as his point totals. He's approaching 45 goals. Now, the team should be better than what they are. They have another guy in Leon Dreisaitl who is up there as far as goal scoring and one of the top players in the NHL as well. But McDavid, by far, skating ability, stick handling, Just playmaking, goal scoring. The guy has all the tools. And yes, McKinnon is a power skater. McKinnon is a bull on the ice. McKinnon, does he make his teammates better? He does, but he doesn't do it with the grace. He's more of a power forward when I see McKinnon. In the ilk of, I'm not going to say Cam Neely, because that's just a different breed of player. But McDavid is finesse. He is power to an extent. But he is just a guy that is making it look easy. And if you haven't been paying attention, I suggest you start. Because this is a guy that if he was maybe in New York, Boston, Chicago, Toronto, maybe even L.A. when Gretzky went to L.A. that time, and wouldn't that be something? He plays on Edmonton now. And there's no way that the Oilers are going to let him go. I mean, he signed to a long-term deal, so you can forget about that. And remember, Gretzky, that was a trade back in 88, 35 years ago. And you, oh, God, another lifetime. But McDavid is a guy that you're witnessing greatness if you get a chance to watch him, whether on TNT, ESPN, or if you stream Center Ice, whatever. This guy needs to be put on notice because the Sidney Crosbys and the Alex Ovechkins, although they're still legends and they're still making their case and adding to their legacy, but we know they're at the back end of their careers. Right now, they're probably on hole 16 or 17, depending on where they're at or how you look at it, in their careers. Where McDavid is probably on hole 7, 8, toward the end of the first back nine. Remember, this kid is what? 25 years old. So he still has at least a decade ahead of him. And I could just hope that when he gets on that big stage, and he went to a conference final last year, but I just hope that he gets to a Stanley Cup final so the whole world could really see how great this player is when he's showcased on that stage. Because until then, you're going to have to stay up late if you're in the East Coast, or you're going to have to on a boring night where there's nothing to watch or nothing to stream that to say, you know what? Let me watch the Oilers play the Seattle Kraken or the Vancouver Canucks. Because there's a guy that when he's here, and as I like to say, staying present, you want to witness how great this guy is because there are not many like him, not only just in hockey, but in any sport. So keep that in mind. And speaking of Ovechkin, he's actually back after his father's death. And I know that that was going to be a bit of a challenge when it comes to travel, leaving North America to get to Russia, direct flight. I'm sure he was able to get a flight somewhere near there. And we all understand that what's going on in that 
part of the world. It's just difficult to try to get in. Not that I know, but based on what I've read and prior to Ovechkin leaving to attend his father's funeral, but knowing that he's back in the States, he could play as early as tonight against Anaheim or even as maybe on Saturday against the Rangers, which is a primetime game on ABC. But Ovechkin, you think he was sorely missed? I talked about this a couple weeks ago when he was going to be out, or maybe even last week, where the uncertainty of when he was going to come back and how long he was going to be out of the lineup, knowing that they're teetering on the playoffs and the wild card, and when he was out, the team was 0-4. So if you don't think that he was going to be sorely missed, especially with the game in Carolina where they had their first outdoor game, obviously not a factor as they lost 4-1. to And him not being or not playing, as a result, they were winless from that time he was out. So now that he's back, welcome with open arms, I'm sure he's going to add a jolt, a boost to this team that needs it desperately as we get toward the final quarter of this NHL season. And speaking of teams that are in the mix, the Islanders, they're dropping like flies here. We know about Alva Wallstrom. He's going to be out the rest of the year with a knee injury. Now you have an issue with Matthew Barzal as he suffered an injury against the Bruins there the other night. I didn't talk about it on Monday's podcast, but now with the trade deadline a week from tomorrow, and they already traded for Bo Horvat, you wonder whether or not Lou Lamorello, the GM, is going to wheel and deal here. I've read rumors about J.G. Peugeot maybe being traded as teams are looking at him, in particular the Hurricanes. And remember, Peugeot came in a trade a couple of years back from Ottawa, and he paid some dividends in the bubble when the Islanders were trying to make a push for a Stanley Cup when they lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning the first go-around. So what is Lamarillo going to do knowing Barzal? They're saying that he's not going to be out for the remainder of the season, but he's going to be down for an extended period of time. So it's dubious at the moment whether or not A, his return, and B, if Lamarillo is going to have a trick up his sleeve to where he's going to bring in another, another player or trade Pajot to bring back maybe some young talent. Remember, they traded Aturata to Vancouver with Anthony Beauvillier, so maybe he's going to try to recoup a low-level or maybe a mid-level prospect on the way back. And Peugeot, he's had his moments, but he hasn't lit up the lamp the way he has in his first couple of years on the island, and especially when he was in Ottawa, when he was scoring goals by the bunches. But we're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen here with the Islanders. Again, another nine days, or really eight days until the trade deadline will come and go. But we'll have to take a lay of the land then, which will be a week from today to see where teams will jockey for position or try to procure talent. And when we take a look at the standings, everything, I kind of hate to say this, I sound like a broken record when it comes to, oh, it's status quo, it's pretty much been the same, not a lot's gone on. I will say this about the Bruins. I know Brad Marchand has come out and said that nobody cares about them breaking any records when it comes to win totals or point totals because all they're doing is bringing in their lunch pails and their hard hats and coming in and trying to win games which, good for them, because you cannot get wrapped up in trying to achieve the all-time single-season win total, which would match the Canadians of years past and the Tampa Bay Lightning of 2018-19, or point totals of 132, which was the Red Wings, I believe, in the mid-90s somewhere. And they're currently, after 56 games, 91 points, 43-8-5, continue to roll throughout this NHL season. But between them and then the Maple Leafs, speaking of paying dividends, Ryan O'Reilly, as I talked about the other day, a big trade for the Maple Leafs. A lot of pressure on them to not only get past a first round, which is going to be insurmountable, especially when the pressure, when you get to April and that first round and everything that that city has had to just deal with for 20 some odd years or over two decades to not get out of the first round, this cherished and famed franchise that hasn't won a Stanley Cup in 56 years and O'Reilly scored two goals within 37 seconds the other night against Buffalo so you only hope that O'Reilly gives them that boost to get themselves to a place where they haven't seen before and that's the second round which is crazy to say 
but hopefully deeper than that. But that's a story for six, seven weeks from now. But one we'll certainly keep an eye on. And then you have the Stars that hit the skids here, lose the five straight, and Winnipeg, who were recently here in New York, as they lost two out of three, they lost to the Devils and the Islanders last night and sandwiched that with a win at the Garden on Monday. So with them and with the Avalanche, as I said early in the week, they could probably overtake both Dallas and Winnipeg in the days and weeks to come. So we'll continue to pay attention to that. And out west in the Pacific, we talked about how that's a logjam between Vegas, LA, and Seattle. Now you got to put Edmonton in there because they are all separated, those three teams, by three points. And as I talked about with McDavid and Edmonton trying to get themselves in good position to see if they could go deep into this postseason. And again, I understand it's still plenty of time between now and the end of the season. A lot of these teams have played 56, 57, 58 games. So we're getting into that final third of the season. But NHL, a slog. NBA, a slog. But once the calendar turns and we start to get a little bit deeper and some separation, you know I'll be all on top of what's going to take place here on both the ice and the hardwood. And as I turn my attention to spring training and lace up the cleats, all the position players have now checked in. We know the pitchers and catchers have done so last week. And now spring training is in full bore throughout Arizona and Florida. The only really noteworthy item that has come out over the last few days has been Aaron Judge and how the Yankees are mulling whether or not Judge could play left field in Yankee Stadium and have Giancarlo Stanton play in right. And as we all know, Giancarlo played right field when he was a member of the Miami Marlins, sparingly has played outfield throughout the course of his first five years in a Yankee uniform. And now that they're looking to ease him in to have Giancarlo in right and Judge in left, Who knows? They may have to put another judge's chamber out in left field because for those who know or are aware, in the right field stands to the right of the bleachers, there's a section called the judge's chamber, which looks like just that, where it's wood and they have gavels and it's a scenario where that's his corner, that's his chamber. Well, if he's going to be playing some left field this year, they may have to build another one out in that section and... I will say this. I'm not a Yankee fan, as everybody knows. And for a guy who's just won an MVP, who's come off one of the great seasons of all time, however you rank them, maybe not top five or top ten, but it's up there, especially over the last 50 years. And him getting the big payday, nine years, $360 million. What is Judge, when asked about him having to move to left field or play another position? Coolly, calmly, and collectively said, I don't mind it. If they want to put me in left, so be it. And all I got to say to that, kudos to you, my guy. That's as selfless as you can get. We know that he's a class guy, down to earth, no ego, checked at the door. I'm sure there is an ego there, but he doesn't show it. And for him to come out and say that and not take the high road to say, well, hey, if that's what they want to do, I know I feel comfortable in this position. And as we know, that's nonsense because he's played a lot of center field last year. And if he's played right predominantly in a Yankee uniform and has had a smattering of chances out to center field there at Yankee Stadium, then he could shift one position over and play left field just as good. And one more time, in an era where athletes are creatures of habit where they do not want to upset the apple cart as far as their routines, as far as their positions, etc. And we're going to see that in San Diego with Tatis. And I saw a headline where they're going to ease him back in. And remember, he still has to go through a little bit more of a suspension, 20-some-odd games before he's actually eligible to play again. But that's another story. But when it comes to the big superstar who does not like change, And for everything I just mentioned, big payday, captain of the team, newly minted, for him to say that you could put me in left, no problem, how could you not applaud that? How many times have we seen athletes in general, or I'll stick with baseball, 
How if they're first baseman, oh, I'm not going to left field. Oh, I'm not playing third base. Oh, I'm not going to this position. Do you want me to play outfield? And we've seen that change a little bit just in this past offseason where the Miami Marlins bring in Luis Arias to play second and then moving Jazz Chisholm to center. And he's now the cover boy of the MLB video game. And he's welcomed that with open arms and good for him. Now, Jazz Chisholm isn't anywhere near the stratosphere of where Aaron Judge is. But to stick to Judge and to make my point is that he's all about the team. And whatever it's going to take, whatever it's going to do to win games and to get to the postseason and win a World Series, he'll sign up for it. Now, we'll have to wait to see throughout the course of the season where if Giancarlo's going to play a lot of right field and if he plays a very steady and solid right field as we expect and Judge maybe with the sun out in left field as that's always been a tricky left field in Yankee Stadium, more so the old one, but even with the new one. And if he's going to have his bumps and bruises out there, of course, he's going to get out all the kinks here throughout the course of spring training. But Judge is the type of guy, from what we've seen, that he's going to keep that at a minimum. He's not going to leak that out to the press or be disgruntled to say, yeah, I kind of wish I'm back and right. Or, you know what, yeah, it's been a challenge. Uh, I don't know. I hope to get some chances and right. Whatever it is, we do not think that Judge is going to go down that road. So that's the one thing that I took away from that exchange and his thoughts about him wanting to play left field. Congratulations. I'm sure you'd rather have 25 Aaron Judges if you're a baseball team or 20 Aaron Judges if you're a hockey team, 53 if you're an NFL team. That's what it's all about. Putting that aside for the bigger goal, the grander goal of winning games, getting to a World Series, and winning the whole thing. And Judge is all about that. And as for Tatis real quick, he's not going to play in the exhibition games, at least in the first one come Friday, as it's been reported. Like I said, they're going to ease him in. Chances are he's probably going to play right field. And you want to talk about hot potato or musical chairs when it comes to positions. And we talked about this a while ago, where you're going to have Xander Bogarts, who is newly signed to his contract, play short. You're going to move Heso Kim from short to second. Jake Cronenworth, second to first. Tatis, normally a shortstop. He's going to play right field. And then Soto from right to left. So it's like, who's on first? What's on second? Who's in right? Who's catching? Who's in center field? That's going to be this Padre outfield, infield lineup when we get into the middle of spring training and certainly into the month of May once Tatis gets back. But they're doing the right thing. They got to ease him back in. Whether he's going to play right field, I'm sure that's going to be his new position. I would think he's shagging flies as we speak. And that's going to be a very interesting call and just a dynamic that I can't even fathom or imagine. With all the superstar talent on that team, Machado said he's going to opt out. The unknown of Tatis, if his head is on straight, knowing that it's all about baseball, forget about the off-field activities, the ATVs, the bungee jumping, whatever else that he does, that he gets into these accidents, etc. I even heard some murmurs about lifestyle, nightlife, and things of that nature. Soto having to deal with him in a year and a half when it comes to re-signing him to a long-term deal. There's a lot going on with that team. Darvish getting signed at 37 years of age where he's going to pitch till he's 42, or he's 36, where he's going to pitch till he's 42 and he's making over $100 million. That's one. That's going to be tough to navigate if you're a Bob Melvin, the manager. But that's why he gets paid the big bucks and... They're doing the right thing by easing Tatis in and hoping that he's on board with that plan because I know he's going to be itching. He's going to say to the manager, I'm ready, put me in, come on, what's going on? And you just hope that body language, attitude doesn't fester within him and then permeates throughout the clubhouse to where this could probably go off the rails in San Diego where they have some big-time expectations coming off a year where they made it to the NLCS. That's what I have, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Goes without saying how much I appreciate your participation, listening day in, day out, week in, week out. Whether you're a newbie, whether you've been around for a little while, quite a while, or go way back. Trust me, 
it is never taken for granted how much it means to me that you do listen to this podcast with all the others that are out there. And with that being said, if you could please, if you haven't done so, subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review. That will go a long way into increasing the visibility of this podcast with all the others, as I mentioned. If you want to hit me up on social media, you could do so with the following. The J Reels Podcast, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, on YouTube, my channel, at J Reels. Twitter, J Reels, one, just a number. The old-fashioned way by email, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, suggestions, hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy, dot com, slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth goes 100% to this. Production, upkeep of the website, the equipment, anything and everything to make this experience into this microphone, to your earbuds and speakers, that much more enjoyable, entertaining, informative, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. If you couldn't tell by what I've been saying, my thoughts, opinions, etc., over the past hour, then I don't know. I guess I must have to step it up there. Or if not, maybe I need to be a little bit louder, which I'm not going to do. But point being... It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, I'm here to stay, I'm not going anywhere as long as the good Lord has me here on this beautiful earth, because fire, passion, energy, fury is what I bring to this microphone with all of my critiques, praises, thoughts, feelings, opinions, analysis on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Peace, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>